Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Amen. You can have a seat. Um, for a moment, we're going to stand here in a, again in a second, but I do want to do something a little bit, a little bit different today to start our service. Um, this is Martin Luther King Sunday. So I just want to congratulate all of us. Can we all give ourselves a huge pat on the back? Because we have a lot of COVID cases. We have a holiday weekend. There's snow on the ground. And here we are, right? Gold star for all of us here this morning. Good work. It is Martin Luther King weekend. And I wanted to just talk about him for a moment because every year I try to on MLK weekend to read one of his writings, Letter from Birmingham Jail, if you've never read it, you need to read it. I'd encourage you to read it. It'll take you about 15 minutes. And what you see when you read that is that the appeal that Martin Luther King Jr. made to have justice in this country was based primarily in the truth of God's word about who God created us to be. In Letter from Birmingham Jail, Martin Luther King was in jail in Birmingham as they were beginning to do peaceful protests there. And he writes a letter that's in response largely to white church leaders. And in the course of that letter, he says these words, I've traveled the length and breadth of Alabama, Mississippi, and all the other southern states. On sweltering summer days and crisp autumn mornings, I've looked at the South's beautiful churches with their lofty spires pointing heavenward. And I've beheld the impressive, impressive outlines of her massive religious education buildings. Over and over, I've found myself asking, what kind of people worship here? Because the Southern Church at that time tended to stay out of these discussions and actually uphold the status quo. And it hurt Martin Luther King, he says, even more than the Klansmen, that people who wanted to follow Jesus yet would not stand up for justice in this country. He goes on to say, because he's hopeful for the church, and I love this quote, there was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believe. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever early Christians enter a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians of being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven called to obey God rather than men. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. By their effort and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial conquest. But things are different now. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often, it's the arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure in the average community is consoled by the church's silent and even vocal sanctioning of things the way they are. Listen, church, if ever there was a time for us to be a thermostat 
and not a thermometer, it's in this culture. It's in this moment. A clear sound and a clear voice that we believe this word. And when we follow Jesus, we take that seriously. And that's a really hard thing to do in this culture. Um, I'm going to ask if we can bring the lights up. I want to do, this is where I want to do something a little different. I think it's kind of like a family Sunday here today. I'm going to ask all of our church staff that's in the room, can you guys stand up and kind of come out from the shadows? Devin, I see you. I mean, you should be in the shadows with that Kansas City Chief jersey on. I would be ashamed of that too. Hey, all of our staff, I see Emily back there, Taylor, Nathan, all of our staff, Ann up there, Nathan in the back. Hey, can we as a church, if you'll feel comfortable, can you just stand and extend a hand? I want to pray for our church staff right now. Pastor Mike is away. Um, I saw a picture of him on a hammock in the beach at a beach somewhere. Hey, listen, church family, it's never been harder to lead a church than in this moment right now. All across this country, there are pastors and church leaders who are burning out and flaming out and struggling out because it is stinking hard. And I just want to say as a church member to our church staff, we love you guys. You guys serve our families. You guys serve us. You serve this community. You've kept this church on mission over the last 18, 24, 36, however many months it has been since this whole world turned upside down on us. And I want to say thank you. And I want us to pray that this church will always be a clear voice in this community for what is right and what is true. So can you extend a hand out to a staff member? And let me pray for them. Father, I thank you for the staff that you've given this church. These guys work long hours. They do so much. And I pray that you would just fill them up. God, I pray that you would let them know that they're loved, that they're cared for. Father, I pray for Mike as he's away. I pray that most importantly for each of them, Father, you would protect their relationship with you. You would protect their integrity and their walk with you. And I pray that as they lead our church, Father, I pray that this church would be a clear voice, crystal clear voice in this community for what the gospel means. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you all can have a seat. Church staff, we love you guys. Hey, um, I have never met a person who does not want to change something about themselves. This is the time of year where we actually think about and talk about change quite a bit. New Year's resolutions, um, that's kind of like not really a thing much anymore. Um, there was the like, hey, I'm going to write a word. I'm going to have a word for the year. And the word's always intentional, right? I mean, that's just like kind of a New Year's resolution cop out, right? Just kidding. If you do the word, good luck. I hope you live your word out all year. Um, some, some of you are more like me. Like New Year's is just a time to get back on track. I went on a streak from like December 15th to January 1st where I think I had a cookie like every single day. And so I was like, you know what? It's time to get like dry January only for cookies, right? No, no more cookies. Get back on track. So I'm trying to get back on track. So I, I decided, okay, look, I'm going to get my nutrition back on track first. So I started tracking everything I eat. I'm going to get back going to the gym after a couple of weeks off and, and making sure I'm consistent with my workouts or bike rides or whatever that needs to look like. And so Wednesday morning, I'm crawling out of bed. I'm doing my part of my deal is I need to weigh myself every morning and track my, my calories every day. So I reach underneath the bathroom sink Wednesday morning and I go to pull out the scale and my back goes out and I'm just laying 
on the cold, dark bathroom floor like an upside-down turtle just flailing. I could not get up. And I was reminded of wisdom from my grandpa. My grandpa used to say, no one ever died in a recliner. And I was thinking, like, what, what am I doing here? Because change is hard. It's difficult. Um, I know we all want to change because this week my family ended up going to the bookstore. We were looking for some books. The kids wanted to get some books. And I meandered over to the very large self-help section of the bookstore And it's unbelievable how many books there are out there dedicated to people who want to change something about themselves because we all want to see change happen in our lives. Self-help book sales have grown 11% over the last six years. Actually, there are, there will be over 18 million self-help books sold to people this year. There will be over 85,000 self-help books in print and in publication this year. And so as I wandered around that bookstore looking at these books, you know, they kind of run the gamut for some that are pretty helpful to some that maybe not so much. Um, uh, Brene Brown, Brene Brown fam- fans in the room, right? Very helpful. I mean, I've read her books. Her books are extremely helpful. The Gift of Imperfection. Anybody familiar with David Goggins? David Goggins is a Marine, former Marine, who turned into just a bad-to-the-bone dude who does crazy stuff like run 300-mile races until, like, his toenails fall off, and he's all about toughness. I actually heard Goggins on the radio one time a couple years ago, and he was talking about how every morning he takes a cold shower. And he, he said, if you take a cold shower, it cuts a, a toughness groove into your brain, and it makes you tough. And I decided, I'm going to try that. And so the next day, I take a cold shower, and I mean, the water's cold. I hate cold water so much. Three seconds. I'm like, this is stupid. I work in an air-conditioned office. I do not need a toughness groove cut into my brain. <clears throat> if I had one, I wouldn't even know what to do with it. And then Steve Harvey has a book out on relationships. I love the title of this book, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. And I just think we're at towards what I believe might be the less helpful section of the bookstore. I mean, if a, if a comedian and game show host who is on his third marriage is where you're at for relationship advice, I'm not very hopeful for you. We all want to change. And what we're going to see in God's word today is that the Holy Spirit is the greatest change agent in the world. And what he wants to do is to change you and me. So open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, and we will be in chapter 5. What we're going to see in God's Word today is really at the very center of what it means to follow Jesus. It's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. It might be one of the most important And yet one of the most practical truths we can ever learn, and it's great news for any of us who want to change, and I don't mean like getting off the cookie bandwagon and trying to trim down the holiday five-pound change. I mean if you want deep down emotional change in your life, that's what the Holy Spirit is here for. He is the greatest change agent in the world. We've been on a journey as a church over the last year. We actually started a year ago, I believe today, talking about creation. We talked about through the book of Genesis, God the Father, he is God for us. He created us. He has a design for us, a plan for us. He enters into covenant relationships with us. He is God for us. 
In the fall and at Christmas time, we talked about Jesus. He is the culmination of all of God's promises. He is God with us. And now we talk about the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said, it is good that Jesus would go away. It is good for us for Jesus to go away so the Holy Spirit could come because he is God in us. Before we get to Galatians 5, one of my favorite verses about the Holy Spirit that talks about this is from Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And it says this, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that's the Holy Spirit, will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you see what that's saying? The same power that brought Jesus' body out of the ground is working inside you and inside me. The same power is in us. And he is the greatest change agent in the world. Some of us have never understood this about the Holy Spirit. We have a lot of kids in the room today. A lot of times as parents, when we talk to our kids about salvation, or maybe if you grew up in church like I did, and someone talked to you about salvation, we talk about what? Asking Jesus into your heart. Heard that phrase, right? Maybe if you became a follower of Jesus later in life, you heard a lot about forgiveness of sin and being in relationship with Jesus. And I just want you to know, all those things are fine. Nothing wrong with any of that. But technically, it's not Jesus that comes into our heart. It's the Holy Spirit that comes into our life. There's a lot more to salvation than just forgiveness of sin, although that's a reality of eternity with Jesus. That's a reality. The salvation, there's a part of salvation that we don't talk nearly enough about, and that is the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, inside of you and inside of me every day. Let's see what Paul has to say about it. Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to start reading in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the two, against the flesh. These two are in opposition. There is a war happening inside of you between this Spirit and this flesh thing. So you may not do the things that you please. There are things you want to do that you know are the right thing to do, and you end up not doing them all the time. You end up doing the wrong thing all the time. This is a common theme throughout Scripture. The war's going on, we know what's right to do, and we end up doing the wrong thing. Why? The flesh sets the desire against the spirit, spirit against the flesh. These two are in opposition to one another, so that you don't do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is where we're going to be living for the next few weeks, but the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Walking in the flesh or walking in the Spirit 
That's the theme of the passage that Paul talks about. Let's talk about what our flesh is because there's this battle going on and we want to be people who walk in the spirit. That's the path to change. But to do that, we really need to understand why we want to change, why we need to change. And the answer there is understanding what our flesh is. So real quick, our flesh is, if we're to define our flesh, it's like this. Our flesh is simply put our fallen human nature. It is the part of you that is untouched by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit that you still hold on to, that you still have inside of you, that just constantly tries to do the wrong thing. It's the human ego that feels an emptiness and uses its own resources and its own power to fill it. The human ego that feels its emptiness uses our own resources and our own power to try to fill up that emptiness. This has been true of people from the very beginning all the way till now. Our flesh tries to use our own resources and our own power to fill it. We know something's not right about us. That's why there will be 85,000 different self-help titles in publication this year. And the flesh solution to this emptiness is to use our own resources, our own power and it never really works. Let me talk about how this shows up in our life because it really shows up in two extremes. One is the flesh shows up for a lot of us in what the Bible calls legalism, what we might call legalism. What is legalism? How does flesh show up there? This is grade A flesh. You might call this good Southern Bible Belt flesh. You might call this Bentonville, Arkansas flesh. The kind of flesh that makes sure that we look really good on the outside. Enough morality, enough goodness, enough being a good person, and we do it all on our own strength using our own resources, and it always leads to pride and ego. It always leads to a lack of empathy and grace. This is the kind of flesh that Jesus described in a parable in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, Jesus tells the story of two men who go, who go to a church to pray or go to the synagogue to pray. And here's what he said. He, now, here's what Luke says. Now, Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. That is the summary of legalistic flesh showing up in your life. Trusting in yourself, believing you're good, and that always results in viewing others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee. That's the religious person. That's like a pastor. One of them was a tax collector. Everybody hated the tax collectors. The Pharisee stood and began praying, saying this about himself. I love that he's praying essentially to himself. God, thank you that I am not like these other people, swindlers, crooked, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I pay pay tithes on all that I get. Do you see the flesh coming out in this person? Depending on his own strength. Jesus goes on to talk about how the taxpayer prays. He falls on his knees and begs God for mercy and says, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, guess which one went home justified that day? So some of us just, our flesh comes out in this ditch of legalism. We got just enough religion to feel really good about making ourselves really good. And that's not what change comes from the inside out. That's not what Jesus wants for us. There's this other side, though. Check out this word. Your flesh can show up in licentiousness. Licentiousness. I'm proud of this, guys. I did some awesome thesaurus work this week, okay? They both start with L. And that was deep into the Webster's, all right? But it's the perfect word because the definition of licentiousness is just lacking any moral or legal restraint, 
And sometimes our flesh comes out where we just let it go. And whatever we want to do, we do. If it's more convenient to lie, we lie. If it's more convenient to look at porn, we look at porn. If we feel the urge to do, to break out in anger, we don't control our temper. We have no self-control. It's just going without any restraint. And somewhere we find ourselves on this continuum with the flesh all the time. Usually it's the mix of both. The licentiousness shows up and then we try to cover it up and keep it inside. That's how it gets exposed. Now, what does it mean to walk in the flesh? We're walking in the flesh. What does that mean? means this, when I'm walking in the flesh, I am allowing my thoughts, my emotions, my actions and reactions to be controlled by my corrupt nature. And when I'm walking in the flesh, I'm allowing my thoughts, my emotions, my actions, and my reactions to be controlled by my corrupt nature. Paul gives us a list of what the flesh looks like. It's not an exhaustive list, certainly. He would have mentioned rooting for the chiefs if it was. But it is a picture of what flesh looks like in our life. Look at what he says. The deeds of the flesh, this is uh, Galatians 5 verse 16, are evident. Verse 17. These of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this. I don't know that it's important for us to dive into every one of these words, but there are definitely three big buckets that Paul deals with here when he talks about our flesh. First of all, when I'm walking in the flesh, when I'm letting the flesh control my my thoughts, emotions, attitudes, and actions, when I'm doing that, what happens is this. Walking in the flesh always leads to sexual sin. Sexual immorality, impurity, and indecent behavior. There's something about our flesh that tries to fill the emptiness that we recognized with sexuality. The word for sexual immorality here is actually the word pornea or pornographic. It's where we get our word pornography. And you just need to know this. One of the places that your flesh is going to constantly war with you is around your sexual integrity because your flesh thinks that there's something there that can fill the need that it fills. Secondly, Paul talks about idolatry and witchcraft which is really weird because we don't have a lot of witchcraft in our day, but man, we have a whole lot of idolatry. When I choose to live in the flesh, when I say to God, I'm going to fill this emptiness with my own power, my own resources, I've taken God out of the picture, I've become my own God, and that is idolatry. So, sexual integrity, flesh goes to war against that. Religious integrity, flesh goes to war against that. Thirdly, look at what it does to our relationships. Enmities, that is hostility or hatred. Strife, that's quarreling with each other. Jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, fractions, breaking off into groups that don't like each other. Envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. By the way, Do any of those words sound anything like the world we live in today? Come on. That's it, isn't it? And you know what that is? 
That is the relational damage that the flesh does. Your flesh goes to war with your sexual integrity, it goes to war with your religious integrity, and it goes to war with your relational fidelity with the people around you, and God has a better way for all those things. All those things. So, walking in the flesh, allowing my thoughts, emotions, actions, and reactions to be controlled by my corrupt nature, sexuality, religion, personal relationships, when I walk in the flesh, they're all impacted. Why is that so bad? I want to give us five characteristics of what happens when we walk in the flesh. We're going to go quickly on these. First of all, the problem with the flesh is the flesh is always defiant. The flesh is always defiant. Paul put it this way. Paul says, the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. It doesn't even subject itself to the law of God. It It doesn't want to submit to God. It's defiant to God. It's not even able to do so. John Piper said this way, the most basic mark of the flesh is that it is unsubmissive. Our flesh does not want to submit to God. It feels the emptiness inside of us. It looks at what God has to offer and it says, no thanks, I'll try to take care of this myself. That's defiance. Secondly, the reason flesh is damaging is it's deceptive. Your flesh is tricking you all the time. The book of Proverbs describes it this way. There's a way that seems right to a person, and in the end, it's the way of death. And you see this come to life in big ways and small ways all the time in our world, right? You see the husband and wife that begin to take choices outside of their marriage, and they drift apart, apart, and apart, and pretty soon you have a hostile divorce situation where it's just broken homes, Because things that felt right in the moment ended up leading to death. I see this in my own parenting. I have a kid. I have three kids. If any one of them does not listen to me, is defiant. The other night, I asked a kid to feed the dog. Because I couldn't bend over to feed the dog because my back was out. The kid didn't feed the dog. I end up feeding the dog. I end up spilling the dog food all over the floor, right? And my reaction is to like kick the dog, right? Yell at the kid. Everything just lose my mind. Because in the moment, that feels like a good release of things. But it always, it never turns out well. You never feel good at the end. Third, not only is your flesh defiant and deceptive, our flesh is also destructive, Flesh always destroys relationship with God and relationship with others. That's what it always does. It always destroys our relationship with God and relationship with other people. Fourth, flesh always ends up, walking in the flesh always ends up in death. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. If you are living in accord with the flesh, you're going to die. I mean, that is harsh. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. And so here's the deal. From the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve very first sinned, the consequences of that sin was separation from God and death. And to this day, even in my life, when I sin, there's consequences to that sin. Even though I'm forgiven, I'm walking with Jesus, I sin, I walk in the flesh, that breaks something in our family. That breaks something in my life. That breaks something with my friends. Sin always leads to death. And then here's the worst news for all of us, and this is why this is such a battle, is flesh is always our default. You woke up today 
And your non-Holy Spirit-filled life's default mode was to do all these things that Paul talked about. Sorcery, immorality, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. We wake up with the default mode flipped to flesh. And that's why this is such a battle. But remember where we started. The Holy Spirit is the greatest change agent in the world. And what he came to do is take us out of that walking in the flesh life and take us to a walking in the spirit life. And let's see what that looks like. First of all, this is a command. We find it on both sides of the scripture. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, when we started today, walk in the spirit, you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. The last verse we read at the end of this passage, if we live by the spirit, let us follow God's spirit as well. Let's walk in the spirit. What does walking in the spirit mean? Simply put, walking in the spirit is allowing my thoughts, emotions, actions, and reactions to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. If walking in the flesh is letting my thoughts, emotions, actions, and reactions be controlled by my flesh, then walking in the spirit is letting those same things, my thoughts, my emotions, my actions, and reactions be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look at two characteristics of this. First of all, when I walk in the Spirit, that is a freeing thing. That's freedom. Paul said in the book of Romans, chapter 7, at the end of chapter 7, Paul, who wrote almost all the New Testament, look at what he says about himself. Romans chapter 7, verse 19. I know that nothing good dwells inside of me. This is the guy who wrote the New Testament. Nothing good dwells inside of me. That is in my flesh. The willing is present in me. I want to do what's right, but the doing of the good is not. I want to do what's right. When it times to do it, I fall apart. The good that I want to do, I do not do. And I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. Do you see the war that's being waged here? I want to do what's right. There's something inside of me, just the southbound pool taking me the other way. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, the sin that dwells inside of me. So this principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. He goes on to say in verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this? This, this battle is exhausting and I want out. Who will deliver me from this? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, I myself with my mind, I serve the law of God, with my flesh the law of sin. But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is setting me free from the law of sin and death. That is, the law of the spirit of God is setting me free from this battle inside of me. And the more I walk with the spirit, the less I'm battling this old sin, flesh, walking in the flesh life. Secondly, not only is walking the Spirit freeing, walking in the Spirit always leads to flourishing. If walking in the flesh leads us to death, death of relationships, death of relationship with God, walking in the Spirit always leads us to life that is flourishing. Look at the description in Galatians that Paul gives of what life in the Spirit is like. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, gentleness, self-control. You want more of that in your life? That's what I want. That's what I need. And that comes with walking in the Spirit. I'll wrap it up with this. 
How do we walk in the Spirit? There's not like a three-step plan here, okay? Like do this, then do that, then do this, track this, put this in the app, do this thing, and you come out following the Spirit. That's not how it works. How does it work? It works this. How do we win the war of our walk? The first thing is we have to recognize that we actually are at war. I love the story. In 1981, the ambassador of Denmark traveled to the town of Huescar in northern Spain. My Spanish is terrible. Like Spanish too in high school is as far as I got. We'll go with Huescar, northern Spain. To sign a ceremony peace treaty that ended a 172 year long war. During the Napoleonic Wars over Spain, Denmark supported Napoleon and the French Empire. And on November 11th of 1809, the little town of Huescar declared war on the nation of Denmark. And the problem is they forgot. And in 1981, a town historian found the declaration of war and realized that they had been at war with Denmark for 172 years and no one told anybody. So they came and they signed this ceremonial peace treaty. Can I tell you something, church? Most of us live our life trying to follow Jesus and we forgot that we're actually in a war every single day. Not a culture war, not a political war. This isn't about that. This is about a war within, a war inside, a battle for us between the flesh and the spirit. And unless we adopt a wartime mentality, if we forget, then guess who wins every time? The flesh. So if we're going to walk in the spirit, the first thing we got to know is there's a war over our walk and we got to join the battle. Second thing we have to do, if we're going to walk in the spirit, we have to blockade the flesh. If you're going to win the war in your walk, you got to remember your war. You got to blockade the flesh. Uh, Civil War buffs would be familiar with this map right here. This is uh, Scott's Great Snake. General Whitfield Scott decided at the early time of the Civil War to blockade the South. And so they put a navy around, they blocked all the southern ports, trying to keep the, the southern army from being able to import products that they need to win the war, which included slaves. It was the largest blockade in human history. Listen, we have to build a blockade around things in our life that stir up and ignite our flesh. Paul says it this way, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for your flesh. Can we get really real for a second? Hey, for some of you, the Netflix has got to go. It's got to go. There's something coming into your home that inside of you, it stirs up something. Maybe it stirs up Sexual stuff, maybe it serves up envy stuff, maybe it stirs up pride stuff, but it's there and it's stirring it up. And you can't win the war in the flesh when you're letting the enemy have a pipeline into your house. For some of you, your phone, I don't even know where my phone is, is somewhere in this building because my watch keeps chiming. But for some of you, your phone is just pouring gas on the flesh fire inside your life every day. The social media algorithm is built for it to do that. And so you can't even open that thing without being sucked into a world 
that is damaging and is against what God wants for you. And you get frustrated that the Holy Spirit's not changing you, but you're throwing fuel on the flesh fire and wondering why coming here for an hour a week isn't getting it done. That's not how God wants us to live. No provision for the flesh means we've got to make some hard choices. We've got to make some really hard choices in life. I was scrolling through scrolling through social media just a couple weeks ago. I'm just going to give you a personal example from my life. And I saw someone who is a Christian, who's a follower of Jesus, and they posted something that made me irate. I mean, I was so mad at them. Why would they do that? They know better than that. And I'm thinking, like, am I going to comment on this? What am I going to do? And I'm just like, wait, what am I doing? What am I doing? And if you step back from me, you're like, I can't believe I'm letting this person, this post on this stupid app, affect what's happening inside my emotions and in my body. And sometimes we just got to walk away from it. And I just want you to know, that's okay. That is absolutely okay. But listen, we can't cut our way in life to following the Spirit, in addition to blockading the flesh, we have to resource the Spirit. In addition to blockading the flesh, we have to resource the Spirit. Um, When I was a kid, my grandma and grandpa took me to a one-room schoolhouse in the backwoods of Missouri where they went to school. And my grandma told me the story about how on the side of this schoolhouse during World War II, they grew a victory garden. Anybody familiar with the, the term victory garden? These actually became popular during COVID um, again. But during World War II, there were 18 million victory gardens around this country. One third of the vegetables produced in the United States came through these victory gardens. More than um, 9 million tons of produce were produced by people growing these little victory gardens. It wasn't just victory gardens. It was metal drives and rubber drives and people would go and collect old tires and go and collect scrap metal and put it on. Why? Because when you're at a war, every resource has to get poured into the war effort, right? And it's the same way with us. Let me tell you something. Every resource we have needs to be poured into fueling what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. Paul described it this way. The mind that's set on the flesh is death. The mind that's fueling the flesh is death. But the mind that's set on the spirit is life and peace. And we have to find ways to pour fuel on the fire that the Holy Spirit's burning in our life. Here's one simple way you can do this. We are doing, this month, we're doing a Bible reading plan together as a church. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. You can text GPC Unleashed to 97000, the number that we all have in our favorites now. And you can join in this. I think there were over 90 people that joined in this. Look, there's nothing magical about this study except for this. It will help you start your day pouring fire, pouring resources on, walking in the spirit, and help you starve off the flesh. Last thing, and I'll be done. If you're going to win the walk for your flesh, or walk for walk in the spirit, remember you're at war, blockade the flesh, resource the spirit. Last thing, you've got to have allies. No one wins a war alone. Ever. And I encourage you, take out a pen right now, and I want you to write down the name of someone who you know is your ally in walking in the Spirit. Write it down. You know, there's someone in my life who helps me walk in the Spirit, checks me, talks to me. 
But let me give you the other side of the coin. There's someone in my life right now, a friend of mine, that's not walking the Spirit who knows better. Knows better. And as I've been thinking about this, I'm like, you know what? The loving, caring, kind thing to do is just sit down with that person and just say, hey, here's what I'm seeing. What's going on? Let me tell you something. Walking in this room every week, worshiping, reading God's word, it's awesome. It's powerful in your life. It's powerful. But unless you have people around you that will amplify that message at 9.30 on Tuesday when you're the worst version of yourself, we're not going to be walking in the spirit. We're going to still be walking in the flesh. We're going to just yo-yo. Sunday I walk in the spirit, the rest of the week I walk in the flesh. What God wants is for us to have one another people in our lives who help us to walk in the spirit every day. I'm going to end with one question. End with one question for us. What is the potential of your life if it was lived walking in the Spirit every day. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. What's the potential of one person who lives that all the time? The potential of that person as a parent, as a friend, as a neighbor. We don't need people who are more politically educated, smarter, better. What we need what our community needs, what this church needs. We need people that are walking in the Spirit. What your kids need is a dad who's walking in the Spirit, a mom who's walking in the Spirit every single moment of every day. And that's what I want to be true of us. Let's pray. Father, when we walk in the Spirit, that's a life, that is a life of life and peace. And I pray that in this moment, you would be changing us from the inside out, that we could see the things in life that need to get cut off and cut out and put away. God, and that you would lead us to be people who are full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And that we would stay in step with your spirit. Shame, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.